What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. Hello, 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 and thanks for stopping by the Chase Thomas podcast, the very best independent sports podcast that you can find on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and wherever else podcasts are readily available. Uh, if you like to not only listen to me talk about sports, but also like to read my articles where I talk about sports, I would advise you to check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com or TheAthletic.com where my guest today, Kevin, is a writer who covers the uh, San Jose Sharks. So um, yeah, do that. And uh, as I said on today's episode, The Athletic's Kevin Kurz, followed by The Athletic and Baseball Prospectus, Nick Salini, and with Spandex's Daniel Matheson. So stack show today, and Kevin is on the line right now. And Kevin, the Sharks, are they having the kind of start that the fans in the front office wanted? Uh, well, yes and no. I mean, you look at their schedule right now, or their, their, uh, record right now, six, three and three. Um, it's, I think acceptable at this point because of the uh, nature of their, of their schedule. Um, you know, they've already been to the East coast twice, two really tough road trips. Uh, you know, the previous road trip, they changed time zones three times going from Nashville to Carolina to Anaheim. So that was a little bit of an odd one. Um, so, you know, they're hanging in, uh, they're in a good spot in a weak division. I think we can agree the Pacific is not, uh, looking all that powerful, probably the weakest of the four divisions in hockey. Um, so that helps them out a little bit, but you know, that said, there are some issues I think that they need to fix and, you know, they really still need to work out. I think, um, you know, everybody's role within, um, you know, the 18 skaters. Do you think they're at all surprised about how the Vancouver Canucks have done to start the season? I don't think they're paying attention to anybody else other than themselves. Um, you know, okay. they haven't played Vancouver yet. Um, you know, I'm sure, you know, they watch some of the division games here and there on off nights, but, um, you know, this early in the season, I don't think you're really getting too concerned about what other teams around you are doing. Do you think there is some sort of growing concern about what's going on with the Vander Kane and the lawsuit that's uh, kind of populated the news cycle today? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. Um, you know, I, I'm no lawyer, but, uh, you know, when a lawsuit comes up from, you know, someone, with, you know, there's no name attached to it. I, we're not even sure where the lawsuit's been filed, to my knowledge. It's, I don't think it's anything that they're going to worry about uh, in the immediate future. And, you know, if it turns into something down the line, uh you know, maybe, but I think at least today, uh, where things stand, I don't think it's anything that, uh, you know, the team is concerned about, you know, but that said, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's never a good thing. Right. Um, you know, we know Evander right. Kane and, 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 uh, you know, he, he's, he's gotten known a little bit of a hot, a little bit of hot water in the past. So, um, but, you know, as we sit here today, I don't think it's something that they're overly concerned about. How has the Evander Kane experience uh, been 
both covering it? And do you think from the uh, the front office's perspective with uh, somebody like Kane being in the locker room day in, day out? Well, he's been great in the dressing room. I mean, from day one, he walked into the room and, and he fit in great. And I think everybody really likes him and respects him. And, uh, you know, the way he played uh, was certainly uh, welcome too. you know, he really gave this team a, a, a jolt when he came in the trade deadline. Um, and, you know, Joe Thornton was out of the lineup at the time and he really, um, he really helped them down the stretch and in the playoffs. And obviously the team was happy with them, uh, giving them a seven year, $49 million contract in the off season. Uh, it's a pretty big, pretty big contract, obviously for anyone. Um, but, uh, you know, he has been a little bit cold lately. He got off to a pretty hot start. Um, he hasn't scored a goal, I think in the last eight or nine games. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of room for improvement there on the ice, but, um, you know, he's, uh, on some nights, this guy can really be a spark plug and, you know, a couple games in the early part of the season here, he was the Sharks best forward, frankly. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about this Sharks team, especially is just the kind of mix between their young guys now and the plethora of veterans. Do you think they have the right mixture? Because it does seem like, especially um, in professional sports, it's really hard to find that right balance between, okay, we don't want to go too veteran heavy. We also don't want to be like the Red Wings where um, we're just in cap hell and we just, uh, we don't have the young assets to um, work with these veterans and we just don't know where we're going to go and we're going to escape this middle and all that kind of stuff and the Blackhawks I think have kind of suffered from this to some extent as well but do you think the Sharks right now have the right mixture of young talent that they can build around long term along with their vets that they can count on? Well there's clearly some good young talent on this team and we've seen a transition uh, from relying on the older veteran types to some of the younger guys. Timo Myers, their leading goal scorer. Uh, Thomas Hurdle is uh, having a real strong year so far. Logan Couture still hasn't turned 30 yet. Um, you know, you look down on the third line, Jonas Donskoy is off to a, a decent start. Uh, Antti Suomela, a kid from the Finnish league they signed uh, over the summer. He's, uh, you know, he's slotted in fairly well there in the third line center role. Kane isn't 30 years old yet. I think he's he's 27 or 28. So, you know, there's plenty of young talent on this team. I, the biggest concern for me is, you do have 39-year-old Joe Thornton and 34-year-old Joe Pavelski skating together on a line right now, and uh, I think there are some some concerns there because you know the the Sharks need these guys to produce at some point. Um, and Thornton has already been sidelined once, getting uh, the right knee infection. Pavelski, uh, you know, Pavelski's been okay so far, but he's also a guy that you know we saw last year take a little bit of a beating, and 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 uh, you know he's. He's a guy that's going to play through everything, but that doesn't always mean he's going to be effective night in and night out. So, um, you know, we'll see where that goes. Uh, but, um, you know, again, that's the biggest concern I think right now is can Joe Thornton, can Joe Pavelski remain effective enough that this team is uh, is deep, uh, deep enough one through 12 up front to make a run. Do you think Eric Carlson is long for San Jose? Well, I don't like his start, frankly. I, I don't think he's been very mm-hmm. good. And uh, if, if you uh, consider his standards, uh, you know, it's it's an adjustment period, no doubt. Um, he's probably experiencing a little bit of a you know culture shock to long, along the, along with uh, you know trying to fit in on a new team when you move uh, across North America from Ottawa to San Jose. That's quite a change, uh, especially when you spent your whole career in, in one place as he did in Ottawa. 
Um, he's had some different defense pairs. Um, you know, he was skating with Mark Edward Vlasic for a while. They were controlling a lot of the possession, but, um, you know, those are two guys I think that they weren't very strong around their own net. And, you know, that's never really been part of Carlson's game. And, and Mark Edward Vlasic isn't, you know, as strong as he is defensively. He's not necessarily a guy that opposing teams fear or uh, worry about him running them over. Um, you know, this is a guy who hasn't even had a, a, a penalty in, a, in over a season now. So, um, you know, we'll see if Pete goes back to that. Pete DeBoer goes back to that at some point. Right now, he's got uh, Vlasic and Braun back together and Carlson's with Brendan Dillon. And, you know, Eric Carlson's best game came in Anaheim on Sunday. He was just uh, awesome. Uh, and, you know, we haven't seen that guy on a regular basis just yet. Perhaps, you know, there's obviously plenty of time here to, to go uh, where, you know, I'm sure they hope to see it a little bit more because uh, he was probably the best player on the ice that night. But um, again, last game, uh, he was just okay. Uh, he was a little careless with the puck and, and um, you know, he's, had a ton of shots blocked uh, last game as well. So I think they're waiting for him to, you know, the Eric Carlson, they expect to emerge as to whether he signs your long-term. Um, you know, I think that's all to be determined. I think there's still a feeling out process going on here between the two sides. Okay. Um, what do you think is the most intriguing thing about this team right now that you're monitoring that you uh, maybe want to write about in the future? What is something that you're already seeing early on that you're like, you know what, this is something to monitor. This is something that could be huge for the Sharks team this season. Well, Timo Meyer is probably the most, uh, you know, the, the best example of that. Here's a guy, um, he's sitting on nine goals, uh, which is, you know, one of the puts him in the, you know, the top 10 in the league. Um, I'm not sure where exactly he is, but you know, nine goals is pretty good so far uh, when right. you've only played uh, a dozen games. So, uh, you know, his, mm -hmm. his continued emergence, I think is going to be something to monitor here. He was very good from just, you know, the mid December point on last year when he finished with 21 goals, he's off to a great start so far this year. Um, you know, I think 30 goals is certainly, you know, from what we've seen so far, it should, should certainly be uh, within reach for him. So I, I think he's probably the most intriguing player on the roster right now to just kind of keep your eye on. How does this team compare? I mean, we mentioned the Canucks earlier, but how do you think they compare or stack up against like the Predators, the Avalanche, and the Canucks and other teams like that? Do you think that they are a team that can win the West, or is this still a team that's kind of a solid A minus B plus range? Where are they right now? Yeah, you know, I I, I need to see a little bit more. What, what we need to see really is to see them play um, some better teams. Their schedule has not been overly difficult yet. Now, you know, their biggest challenge and their biggest win so far was easily. Uh, over the Nashville Predators on the road last week, when they were down four to two, mm -hmm. and they raced a deficit in the third period and came back and won five to four, that was, you know, that was an impressive win for sure. So, I think you know we need to see things shake out a little bit more with, uh, you know, some chemistry uh, up front uh, with Eric Carlson. Um, Martin Jones is going to have to be better. Um, but again, I think I, I want to see this team play some more games against what I would consider to be legitimate Stanley Cup contenders because really they've only done that once so far yeah um it is still really early it feels like the hockey season has been going on longer than it has I don't know <laughs> if it's because they started just before the NBA season so it just clouds things but I feel like we're at game 30 and we're not at all I yeah. don't know why that is maybe and it's, it's just a long me. season I know that I know fans have a tendency sometimes to to overreact a little bit in the early going, but you know, really the sharks are, the, are a good example of, 
if you go back to 2016, the Sharks and the Penguins both, um, you know, they were both hovering around 500 at Christmas time before they both took off in the second half. It's such a long season. So many things can happen, injuries, trades, what have you, um, that, you know, it really is, uh, you know, the points are important in October, but it's uh, this team, every team in the league is pretty much, you know, different than what we're going to be seeing from them in April. I I feel pretty confident the Kings are in real trouble. I, I think that there is uh, some real problems there with the Jonathan Quick stuff and just their start. I don't know. I feel like we can go ahead and cross them off. I feel like. I, yeah, I wouldn't. Go, I wouldn't go far that far just yet. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good players okay. on the team. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it's amazing to see. Like, I mean, there were, uh, that whole storyline going into the playoffs last year. It was like, oh, this is a team that was built to come from a three zero deficit. Like this was the kind of group that could do something like that. And then it just didn't happen. It was just a really sad ending, you know? But, yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a long way to go though. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily write anybody off yet, especially a team that's one, you know, has still so many core players from that Stanley cup, you know, those two Stanley cups. Right. So I feel like I know the answer to this already, but um, one of the things I'd written down was who do you have as the, the first, uh, the, I was going to say the first like couple games, but I guess the, the early season MVP for this Sharks team. I feel like I already know who you're going to say here. Uh, probably Brian would say Brent Burns. Um, oh, you know, okay. He's been, I was yeah. wrong. I'm glad I asked. <laughs> yeah, he's been outstanding. Um, you know, he's, listen, he's never going to be uh, the best defensive defenseman in the league, but they are relying on him for offense every night and he's giving it to them. Um, you know, it, it was a little bit of a slow start. I think, you know, maybe with, with Brent, um, you know, he's such an emotional guy. I think maybe at first he wasn't quite sure how to react to the acquisition of Carlson. Uh, he looked a little off in the first three games, but since then, uh, you know, he's been their best player. I, I think, well, I mean, well, probably been their best player. You could probably make an argument that, uh, Logan Couture or, or Timo Meyer or, or, or Thomas Hurdle has been in there too, but, um, for me, it's Brent Burns so far, and and you know we're, we're again he, he's he, he's never going to be the you know he's taking most of his draws in the offensive zone that that certainly helps, but um you know he's been he's just been great I think the last for going on three weeks now. Is it weird that we're talking about everybody but Eric Carlson and Evander Kane with this kind of conversation? Uh, well, in what in what sense? So, like, just with the money invested and the trade assets invested and everything, where it's just the big names aren't really being topped. I mean, Joe Thornton as well. Like, it just seems like uh, other people are stepping up for the Sharks team that maybe the casual fan not, may not be familiar with. I think everybody, when you think Sharks right now, you think Kane, uh, Carlson, and um, Thornton. Is uh, yeah. I, I just think yeah, it's that's interesting fair. That we're I mean, not talking about them right now. I think that you know they're looking for uh, Evander Kane. You know he's off to a good start. Don't get me wrong. Even though he's maybe gone cold a little bit lately, um, I think they expect him. You know I think it would be disappointment if he didn't reach uh, twenty five or thirty goals this year. It certainly would be a disappointment if he didn't reach twenty five. Um, you know Thornton. We're, we'll see. You know if he can if he can you know recover from this latest injury, it's, it's been, you know, it's been just a brutal road for him uh, ever since he got hurt last January um, coming back and then only, you know, going right back out of the lineup two games in um, we'll get another look at him tonight. And um, you know, Carlson, we've talked about, I think there's still an adjustment period going on there, but um, it's still a little concerning, I think with what we've seen from Carlson so far. So you wrote about, um, I'm going to butcher this name, Auntie Sumella. Yep. Um, I'm, yep. Did I butcher it? Okay. No, great. no, no. You got Glad it. I did that. 
Oh, did I? Okay, great. Um, what did you find with this? It was an interesting piece because it was just like kind of um, a behind the scenes look at just uh, certain guys that you just would never um, know about or like just certain how the other teams read certain guys and everything that goes into scouting because scouting and hockey, I feel like is the most confusing of any of the pro sports, like just the Finnish league and all these different leagues that they go to and that you're trying to figure out who's who, where are they coming from? Um, what did you find uh, putting together this piece? Well, you know, it was, it, I thought it was interesting how, you know, about half the league wanted to sign this guy and, um, you know, the Sharks had a good relationship with his agent. Um, they had a scout over there in Europe that developed a relationship with him. Um, and, you know, even after all that, it was still a toss up as to whether they were going to acquire him. But, you know, it turned out to be a pretty important acquisition because they had to trade Chris Tierney, who was their third line center. It was a good third line center. Uh, to Ottawa in order to get Eric Carlson. So, um, you know, I I just thought it was a little bit of an interesting process how, you know, a little bit behind the scenes, how this team works. And and we haven't heard too much from that. This team's a little bit more, uh, you know, tends to keep things pretty quiet when it comes to how they operate. But, uh, you know, Doug Wilson Jr., who uh, got a promotion over the summer, has has been a little bit more, I I think, upfront and willing to discuss how they operate. And I think that's, you know, a benefit for for everyone. So hopefully if, you know, Sharks fans read that piece, it gave them a little bit more insight on on how they do operate and how they are able to acquire a player that was pretty sought after uh, during the offseason. Last thing, and then we'll go. So you've been covering the Sharks for closing in on a decade now. I don't mean to date you. Kevin, <laughs> this is my but, eighth year, yeah. Uh, eighth year. <laughs> um, which year has been your favorite? Which year? Yeah, which year covering this team has been the most memorable, or the one you enjoyed the most? <laughs> well, well, obviously you enjoy covering a team that goes to the Stanley Cup final. I mean, no writer wants yeah. to sit through bad hockey for for a really? full 82 games. Even if it's really dysfunctional and it's like you get Well, that was the most interesting. I mean, and, the, yeah. the team, the, the year the Sharks missed the playoffs was certainly an interesting season. Um you know, you had the general manager and the coach were clearly not, not on the same page. The coach and the captain, who was Joe Thornton at the time, weren't on the same page. Uh, you had, the, you know, he had Thornton telling Doug Wilson to, you know, uh, shut his mouth. Uh, it was it was a mess. That not season great. was a mess. Yeah, it was the, the, the dressing room wasn't a good place. Um, in hindsight, I think it was a little bit of a low-key tank job uh, going into what was, hmm. uh, 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 you know, pretty good draft year in 2015 and the Sharks were able to get the ninth overall pick that year and take Timo Meyer. So, um, it did kind of work out, I guess, in a little bit, uh, in that sense, but, uh, in terms of enjoyable, you know, the, 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 when they came back the first year under Pete DeBoer, um, there were a lot of just good people in that dressing room too. You had Paul Martin, Joel Ward, um, you know, just really good individuals that, that to talk to from our purposes, uh, that are really insightful and just bright guys, um, and you know, the team, it was an exciting year, you know, this, for, especially for these fans who had been through so much had seen their team lose in the Western conference final so many times, finally get over that hump. Um, you know, that was, that was definitely an exciting time here. All right, Kevin, I really do appreciate it, but this is where our journey must end. You have, is there a game tonight? Do the Sharks play tonight? Yep. Yep. They're going to play Columbus. Okay. 
There you go. All right. Um, so enjoy that, sir. I really do appreciate it. We can read you at theathletic.com where you cover the San Jose Sharks. So if you are not already reading Kevin on The Athletic, go ahead and do that. And if you don't already have a subscription, what are you doing? Go ahead and do that as well. I've had mine for it another place. It's been around a little bit longer than I've realized that I've had the <laughs> subscription for a little bit longer. The Athletic, it's here to stay. So yep, go ahead right. and do that. Um, but Kevin, I really do appreciate you taking the time and, uh, we'll have to talk again soon. Yep. Okay. Thanks, Chase. Take care. All right. Now I am joined by one of my favorite MLB writers. It's Nick Stellini. Nick, how ready are you for Manny Machado to be doning the pinstripes? Uh, I'm I'm ready. Um, I don't know if it's gonna be Manny. I don't know if it's gonna be Harper. Um, I'm assuming it's gonna be one of them. You're assuming one or the other. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I I, I would imagine it's one or the other. Um, I've sort of been talking myself into Bryce Harper over the past week or so. Um, because I think that the lefty bat is something they are sorely lacking. Um. And then there's a question of how Gregorius comes back from the elbow and if he does come back from the elbow and how, how, how effectively he does um, and how they sort that out moving forward with Machado in place. So I'm sort of talking myself into Harper here, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was either of them. That's interesting because, I mean, I'm still not moving from the, I think both of them are winding up in Philly this winter camp like that's still kind you of you think the phillies get both of them i do i think the phillies are going to go all out and get them both that would be fun i think um, they really have to shake off that end of year just implosion it was kind of under the radar but it was something where i think this group this like their rebuild has not gone the way they would like like it, it the ruben amaro the championship years the cliff lee era it was a long time ago. Like it's now it's uh, we're closing in on a decade basically. And I think that it, now is the time to kind of, you know what, we're going to expedite this rebuild. We're close with the Braves. If we add two big time bats, I'm, I'm, I, I think they're, maybe it's, maybe that's, we're both right here where I think maybe the Phillies get one, the Yankees get the other. Maybe that's what happens. I, but I still think, um, this Phillies front office is going to spend. I think that they are going to go very hard at both and maybe they don't get, Harper just because they're in good position for Mike Trout. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I really do think they're getting both. That would definitely be fun. Um, let me look at their roster. Um, I mean, they definitely need somebody in there besides Reese Hoskins. Like they, they desperately need something else. Mm-hmm. Um, the left side of the I, infield has a lot of question marks. There is some young talent there, obviously, but they've not been able to solve that. I don't think as dribble Cabrera is the long-term solution in, in Philadelphia, but that's just no. me. Um, so when I did my very, very like super off the cuff, not even looking at the rosters, free uh, agent predictions like a week and a half ago, um, I gave the Phillies Adam Jones, Mike Moustakis, and Zach Britton. Mm-hmm. Speaking of um, Mike Moustakis, are you excited for the 30 for 30 on Mike Moustakis and his agent um, over the last two years? Just all their decision making and everything else there? Yeah, not great. No, <laughs> no. 15 million? Just saying no? 
What does he think he's getting on the open market? What is happening? When I saw I that, mean, I'm like, he's what? probably getting at least two years. Is he? Um, yeah, I would think so. There are teams that need third baseman. Do they? Need, but he's a year older than he was last year when they were extremely cool towards him. Like I, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I, I'm pretty out. But back to your point. I mean, he doesn't have the QO on him anymore. Um, so there, there is that. He doesn't have the QO on him. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I, I would think he probably gets at least two years. Um. So I mean, I could definitely see them going after one of those guys. I do think that you can essentially pencil in Mike Trout's name with that lineup in a couple of years. Um. But. Yeah, they need a lot more. Um, did I give him a starter too? Let me see. So you gave him Adam Jones, Mike Mustakis, and who? And uh, Zach Britton. Okay. Hmm. I feel like uh, they have to do more than that. They do, but I, I, I have them coming up a little. Again, this was extremely unscientific, just off the cuff. That feels not more like the Braves uh, off season. Like that seems way more realistic for Atlanta. I, I gave I gave Atlanta Josh Donaldson. Okay, I'll take it. Sure. I mean, yeah. Which is which is a double-edged sword in a couple ways. Oh, and I gave you Andrew Miller, too. Mm, okay, I can see which, it. Again, again, double-edged sword. I don't know who's going in right field next year. Because Nick Marcagus, he's not coming back. I guess Austin Riley maybe could play right? Who knows? No, I would, they wouldn't do that. So who's going to right field? Because, I mean, Johan Camargo, he pretty good down the stretch. I don't know if you can move him off third base now for Riley, but I have no idea. They're they're in a weird that, pick. That might that might be a trade. I don't know. I could see Adam Jones in Atlanta for one year. I could one hundred percent see that. Sure. Um I mean let me see. Let me look at this. Um right field. You could go with cargo. You could go with Andrew McCutcheon. Um who has the best shot of having like a Mike Mus or not even Mike Mustakis, but like a Nick Markakis late Renaissance jump for one year in Atlanta? Are we talking like 2018 Markakis? Are we talking like, like this yes, like 2018 Markakis? Is there anyone available who can replicate or even come close to what he did for the Braves this season? I mean, I don't know how good. I mean, how good was Nick Markakis this year? Markakis bad in the second half. He was sneaky. Like he, he was not a cleanup guy. Like he was. I mean, he was never a cleanup hitter. No, but he did. The power came for whatever reason this year, but um, for the launch angle and all that kind of stuff. But he was a lot better the first couple months of this. Markakis was a two point six WAR player this year. Um, I mean, you don't need to exactly replicate that if you can supplement other places. So. Right. I mean, you could stick like Lonnie Chisenhall out there and not be terrible. Oh wow, that feels like a shrewd Braves move. That this ownership's not going to spend, and I think that's the. I mean, we've talked about this before. Of just, I think that's the difference maker between Philadelphia and Atlanta over the next three years, or maybe even five years. Is who takes the uh, stranglehold of this NL East is who prioritizes spending and keeping up with um, the Cubs and the Dodgers and everybody else long-term. And as much as I love Acuna and Albies and everybody else, um, I don't believe in this Braves ownership group to spend. And I think this Phillies ownership group is going to spend, and I think they're going to outspend, and I think they're going to get big-time talent. I really do. So, But like, let's say you do like Donaldson and Chisholm Hall. That's a pretty decent haul, I think. Right. 
I, I think it's it's decent, but I do. I mean, you're you're betting on health with both of those guys, but what also means you can get them at a discount. I think so. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if you hit on both those guys, that that's pretty decent. And I mean, there's still the question marks with the bullpen, especially. Um, sure, and you need you need guys in there too. So yeah, I mean, it's just they have a lot of work to do. But and, there's a lot of relievers this winter, so. Yeah, I mean, Andrew Miller would be fine. That's that's good. I'm, I'm Again, good. another guy you're betting on health with, but. That's someone I would bet on, though. Like, or I guess I would be okay with making that bet. Like, that's when you can sell to the fan base of like, mm-hmm. well, yeah, why not? Um, but anyway, we're not talking about the Braves and the Phillies tonight. That's that's down the road. We're we're gonna see what happens this winter with them because I I do think it's gonna be an interesting war. But um, we're gonna talk about some other NLEs teams, and the first one I want to talk about is JT Real Muto, who was rumored to be like a long term guy in Miami because he was the lone remaining intriguing young player on this Marlins team. He was someone that Jeter did not decide to move away for 70 cents on the dollar. He was not in the, um, just the, the craziness with Christian Yelich and, uh, Marcelo Zuna and everybody else. Um, he was there and it seemed like they were adamant by not trading with the deadline that he was going to be someone who was going to remain on this roster and they were not going to move him. Like he was going to be someone who was going to be around kind of in that Freddie Freeman role where, um, he's going to be a uh, part of this long-term rebuild. And when they get back to prominence, he will be one of the guys who's been there throughout. Um, but it turns out he wants out and, uh, I understand why he would. Uh, but I do think the timing is interesting, but, uh, I want to get your thoughts. What were your first thoughts when you saw that JT real Muto, uh, wants out of Miami? I can't blame him. Um, I mean, he like requested a trade last winter. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised by that at all. I would expect him to get moved. So you would um, expect him to get moved this yes, winter? Okay. Yes. Um, which is largely because the free agent catching market is so bad. Um, like, it's Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Ramos, and that's it. And maybe, like, Jonathan Lucroy, if you're into that kind of thing. Kurt Suzuki, eh. Um, Maldonado, sneaky, valuable. But, but like... People are desperate from offense for offense from the catcher's position. So I, I mean, that just really just a good player. He's a really good player. Um, so I, I think he gets moved, and I would expect it to happen not too deep into the winter. Who is um, the best trade option for him? Who is the best so trading partner, like, both there, from the other team's perspective, but also from – Miami's perspective who is the best option for them so yeah that's an interesting question um just in terms of need um my mind immediately goes to three places um there's the Dodgers who just lost Grandall um and I, I don't think he's coming back um the Colorado Rockies who are desperate for offense and I mean they have Chris Ineta in place but that's not somebody you can't push into a backup position and then um, the Houston Astros just lost both of their catchers right? Be- because um, Maldonado's a free agent and then they didn't pick up McCann's option. So the Astros, there's a obvious need there. They have a couple of fun little pieces that they can move if they want to. Um, like they're not moving like Forrest Whitley for this guy, but they they have a couple of guys. Like you could move like Bukowskis and I don't know, Miles Strala and whatever. For him, um, like it's not undoable. Like you, you're, you're not Alvarez could be in that deal, um, and that 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 probably gets it done. So you can do that. 
Um, there's also um, the Oakland Athletics, I think, hmm. could be a factor here. Um, they just won a bazillion games and came up short. They just yeah. lost. They just lost Lucroy. Um, not that Lucroy was providing a whole lot of offense back there, but he, he seemed to be working well with that staff. You put uh, Real Muto in that lineup, it gets even freakier. Um, and then the team that is not going to do it, but absolutely 100% should, is the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. I thought you were going to go Nationals there. Well, yeah, the Nats can do it too. Um, they could, they, like them and the Braves could, could potentially do it. Um, I don't know if they move them in division, but um, both those teams are there. But um, the, the Rays, man, um, they have nothing going on at catcher whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Um, they just again, they just won ninety games, so why not add? Um, well, we 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 know why. They would not. Ask. We, we we know why. Yeah, he's he's an arbitration. Of course, not going to put him on the roster. <laughs> um, they have literally nobody. <laughs> um, but they have a really good farm system right now, and so they could definitely afford to do it if they want to. Um, but they're not going to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if you had to rank those four, I guess you would have race number one. So, what about the previous three? How would you rank them in order of? likelihood the marlins would want to do business with them um so it really depends um i mean it really it's really whoever comes up with the best package mm-hmm. um houston and the dodgers both have good prospects um the rockies not quite as much but they can afford it um like it, like they're not moving brennan rogers in that deal but you can put like let me see yeah, Brendan Rodgers is probably their only untouchable um, yeah, prospect, right? Because I, I, and, and I wouldn't call him untouchable. Um, well, they could just bring back DJ LeMahieu and uh, move on from Rodgers, I guess. Right, but like, but they could put like Sam Hilliard in that deal. They could do. They've got some pitching down there that's fun. Um, so that could be like a Peter Lambert kind of thing. You could do. Um, I mean, Pint's value is kind of in the tank right now, but. They, they could do it. They, if, if they don't want to, they could do it. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not they will. Um, like I know some guys like Yancy Almonte, um, Castellani has some people who like him. I don't know how high up him people are. Um, like you can, you can do this deal. It, it's doable. Um, it's just a matter of whether or not they can beat out the Astros, the Dodgers. Um, for that sort of thing. Um, there's been talk of a Gary Sanchez for Real Muto swap in the media here. I don't see that happening hmm. um, for a variety of reasons. I don't see that happening, but it's doable. Like, meanwhile, the Dodgers, they still have, you know, like Kiebert Ruiz would probably be the headliner here. Um, there's, is Gary it, Sanchez not long for New York? No, I think he is. I, 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 I would, I would be surprised if they moved on from him like in that dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, it's one bad year. If he has another bad year, then they might move him. But there's, there's still a chance he comes back and hits the crap out of the ball again. And then he's so valuable if he does that. Yeah, and the Yankees have bigger issues than uh, what's going on with Gary Sanchez. Like, if that's exactly. a huge problem, you're in pretty good shape. Like, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, but the DD stuff, I think, is more fascinating with New York right now than mm-hmm. um, Sanchez. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I do wonder, 
if you're Derek Jeter and you're this Marlins um, ownership group, do you just say, no, we, we can, we're going to keep you around, JT. We actually like you being here. But why would they do that? I guess just to kind of sell something to their fan base. I mean, they did just remove um, one of your favorites, Nick, the outfield yeah, home run. The Marlins are, yeah. they were already dead to me, but now they're like super dead to me. You, um, what was your first thought when you saw that headline? Did you think it was an onion article and that they would never do such a thing? Or Oh, no, they, he's been trying to do it for a year. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm disappointed. <laughs> I think you might have been the only person that liked that home run thing. A lot what do you even like call it? it? It's the sculpture, I guess. And it's not I don't even, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to miss it. Got to say, Nick, not going to miss nah, it. it. It's a beautiful thing. It's ugly, but that's why I like it. They need to bring back the teal uniforms. That's their biggest thing is bring back the pinstripes. Get well, back. There, there's, there's rumors going around that they're updating the, the look for next year. Yeah, but I think they need to go full Florida Marlins just with an M over the F. Like that's all well, you got to like, do. The, the three logos that were leaked were all really ugly. I haven't even seen them. I don't think they're they're so bland and ugly. But I mean, which I guess is what Jeter is going for. But yeah, I I mean, yeah, he's trying to recreate the Yankees of Miami. Like that's that's the game plan. Don Mattingly still not a good thing. No, but uh, I mean, I guess it's better than the previous ownership group, right? Is is it? It's still early, but I would. I think most people would rather have this approach than Jeffrey Loria's. Is again, it? It won multiple titles, so maybe not. I, I don't know. Oh. I mean, not that Loria was good, but like, man. Yeah. I I don't know. Now I'm going to have to think about this. I'm going to do some more research on this. It, <laughs> you're not going to... Folks, Jeffrey Loria, better than Derek Jeter as an owner? Oh, man. Um, That is... That is wild. I hadn't even really considered that yet, but it's still too early. I think it's just a little too early um, on that front. But uh, yeah, uh, if you had to guess, and this is the last thing I'll say about Real Muto, um, if you had to guess six months from now, where is JT playing baseball next year? <sighs> Best guess. The Houston Astros. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be an, an, an East team. I don't think it's going to be the Nats or the Braves or anybody. Yeah. No. I, Man, they could they can both afford it, but it's not going to be them. No, oh my god, it's probably going to be the Astros. That makes sense. Um, wow. Okay, so the Astros still good. It turns out. Um, the World Series, uh, long games and uh, ratings down twenty five percent. What do you make of this? Well, so there's a number of factors I would say. Um, let, let, let's start with just, you know, okay. What, what did the broadcast tell us about itself? Um, every commercial break, there were commercials for no fewer than two different dick pill companies, <laughs> life insurance mm-hmm. and things of that matter. So that tells us that baseball is still seeing a older male audience, mm-hmm. um, we were repeatedly told over and over again how what we're watching is bad um, by the people in the booth. That we, we were told in explicit terms that this is bad and that this is not what's good. Um, there's that. I'm not going to blame the start times because I thought the start times were somewhat reasonable in the World Series. But also, on top of that, like, 
we've got a somewhat later start time if you're on the East Coast. And then the commercial breaks are longer than usual. And there are more commercial breaks than usual because there's more pitching changes. And then we've got commercials in the game itself, which I'm not, th- I don't think that's the reason people aren't watching because people watch the NFL and they've got plenty of that. Um, but I mean, if you want to talk about pace of play, there are more commercial breaks and there are longer commercial breaks. There's that. Then, then when we come back from commercial, we're told that the game that we're watching is not what the way it's supposed to be played and that the game is not good. Um, and I think to be frank, like, I mean, I don't think that the the Red Sox like aren't a novel thing anymore in Boston. Um, like this is their fourth title in fifteen years. It's not like they're they're still cursed or anything. Um, Dan's in Boston are used to winning. Um, I think they might have thought it was a bit of a foregone conclusion because I mean, as good as the Dodgers are, they won ninety one games, ninety two if you count the play in game. Um, but you forget like how they started and this was a team that we didn't even think was going to make the playoffs early on. I mean, sure. But I get that. I get that. But that's the people in LA, Mm -hmm. um, who are really focusing on that. Um, like I would think the average fan doesn't know what the red, what the Dodgers went through this year. That's, um, yeah. They just assume that, Oh, the magic Johnson, the team that has a bunch of money, they can do this every year. They've been in the playoffs for six or seven straight years now. Yeah. Um, so they're they're a given, the Red Sox are a given. Mm -hmm. And even as good, again, as good as the Dodgers were, the Red Sox were 17 games better than them. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like Um, a formality where it was just, we all kind of knew where this was going. I mean, I I didn't think it was going to be this one sided. I thought it would be somewhat of a more, more, tightly contested series but it was a bit of a formality in the end so when the conversation people, has shifted about like oh is Mookie gonna play second base and that kind of stuff you're like oh where there's no interesting storylines of like how do the Red Sox I, I don't think Mookie Betts playing second base would get people to tune in right like I just don't think if, there was... if you're if you're fascinated by Mookie Betts playing second base you're already a hardcore baseball fan Right. And I think that was like, uh, that was something I had thought about. I was like, that's a bad sign that that's like the biggest storyline. And it's like David Price versus the media. I mean, I don't think that's a big one. I don't think that's a big Again, one for the casual fan. If you care, if you care about that, you're already a hardcore baseball fan. And if mm-hmm. you're a casual baseball fan, you just assume base, you assume David Price sucks and you don't care. Right. And, uh, also the quote was a little interesting. I mean, I, I appreciated the pettiness, but also, um, David, I don't think that's how the media works. I don't think that's how any of this works in sports. You, I mean, I, I get that you won, and that's great. But uh, if you're bad next year, guess what? They're still going to talk about you being bad next year. Like, it's not like everybody's going to lay off for the remainder of your contract. And he just um, uh, did not uh, exercise his opt-out clause. So he's going back to Boston next year. And uh, if he's not good, um, I'm going to go ahead and guess that Boston media is going to talk about David Price struggling again. Like, I don't think that's how this works at all. I mean, I will say this. Um, I don't think the 2018 Dodgers were all that interesting. Um, I actually found them. I, I found them a little boring. I don't know why. Um, I, I just wasn't into them. Too many um, <laughs> No, not even that. I just, I just, I, I thought they were bland on days yeah. that Walker Buehler wasn't pitching. See, that's, uh, I'm I'm glad you're right there with you because I I loved watching Walker and I thought he was like one of those really interesting where he was pitching in big moments. He's going uh, several innings at a time. Like to me, if I had like that's another thing. It's just those young pitchers 
uh, getting an opportunity and just seeing him work was like one of my favorite things. But I also don't know if that's a thing casual baseball fans care about is Walker Bueller. I mean, they like the commercials, I guess. Right. Like that was a big hit. It seemed like. Sure. Um, but so maybe if you weren't watching the game, exactly. You don't see that. Um, so there's that there's, I mean, the dot, the Red Sox are fun and interesting. They've got Mookie Betts. They've got JD Martinez, but outside of Mookie Betts, who on that team is a national star. Chris sale. Do, 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 do this is a casual baseball fan really care about Chris sale. I would assume I felt like he's big enough. I feel like a lot of people know who Chris sale is. I would say. Sure. But like, it's, there's knowing who Chris sale is and there's Chris sale being a draw. That's true. I don't think there was a draw in this World Series, actually. No, no I mean, like, so, so, like, Manny Machado is not a draw, and if anything, people turned on him. Um, Justin Turner's not a draw. Clayton Kershaw isn't a draw in the class. People assume he's gonna he's gonna crap the bed, and he did. Um, I mean, JD Martinez is great, but he's not a draw. That is interesting. I I don't know who would have been like the best out of everybody who was in the playoffs this year. What do you think would have produced the best result or the best storyline? I think would have had to include the Cubs. Cubs and the Yankees. Okay. Yeah. I think that would have been better. I would agree. Because I also don't uh, think that would have gone six or seven. I don't know how that would have gone. I think it would have been. It, it, would, it would have gone a while. Mm-hmm. And that was another issue is the Red Sox went up early and. Uh, and people turned, the, turned it off. Yeah. And I think people just knew. They're like, oh, the Red Sox won. And it's not like you said at the beginning of it, where it's like it's not a interesting thing anymore. This is just like this is their best team ever, probably, and they're a powerhouse. They are they've won four titles in fifteen years, like you said. Um, I don't know. It it felt kind of inevitable ever since they got through the asterisk portion of um the playoffs. It felt like that was their biggest obstacle. Kind of like um this kind of felt like when the Cavs went to the finals this past year, right? Against the Warriors where the Warriors had to get through Houston and that was the biggest thing and that felt like the finals. Um I think we could all agree that the Astros uh are a better team than the Dodgers this year and um they made it through. And that was more of a depressing thing is just like reading about the Astros players um, in the locker room after and not knowing who was coming back. And I mean, the Brewers were the kind of the same way. I wonder how the Brewers maybe more than anybody would have fared uh, for world series rating purposes. Cause it did seem like a they're lot more interesting. Yeah. And I think a lot of people were buying into the Christian nail type. I think he was, and not only that, they were just different. So people, yeah. I, they, they were different. So people would have watched that. I think, I really do think they had the Brewers been the ratings would have been better. I agree. Okay, um, I'm glad we're on the same page there because that was, it did feel like a lot of people were talking about the Brewers. It, like they're just fun to watch. Yeah. And different. And yeah, uh, they just play differently and everything else. Yeah. It, uh, I think it would have been better, but either way, I wouldn't say this is a, um, definitive trend or this is something baseball should worry about. I just think this year was just one of those years where a powerhouse team steamrolled just about everybody in, and one, and there's just not the kind of drama that you get um, all the time like you do in a Cleveland versus Chicago World Series. Like, that just doesn't happen every year. Um, and, he, and even in terms of Mookie Betts, like, can you imagine the average fan just saying, I want to tune in to watch Mookie Betts play baseball? Like, I love Mookie Betts. He is great. But is Mookie Betts, like, the guy you tune in to watch for the World Series? No. He's not. Right. And I just don't know how you... <sighs> 
I don't know, man. This is a this is a long term problem for baseball that I'm not certain how they solve. I mean, this is the market your stars better conversation. Yeah, I guess. All right, the last thing I want to touch on real quick: uh, the Mets they hired former CAA agent Brody Van Wegenen. Is that how you pronounce it? Wegen? Wegenen? Van Wagenen. Wagenen. Um, he's played baseball. He, I believe, played at Stanford with AJ yes. Hinch. So yes. he does at least have a baseball background. Um, he represented uh, a couple of former Mets, uh, the MLB Players Union, along with the commissioner's office. Both have he concerns. represents like a, he represented like a third of the current roster. Yeah, and he's having yeah. like just uh, apparently the plan is he's just not going to be a part of the negotiations for those players, going which forward. is wild to me. Yeah, like how? Do I, what does anyone would anyone believe that? So is like so is Omar spearheading those negotiations? Yeah, like how is, does is that John, even work? Is John Rico? spearheading that is jeff wilpon already popping out just being like oh do you guys need me again all right I yeah step in I, I, yeah i don't it's really weird we just downplayed that like that was the craziest part to of say nothing to of to say nothing of free agent negotiations with his former clients it's also like my whole thing is like that's not gonna happen like we don't have to worry about it he's gonna be involved that whole idea that he's not he's just gonna say he's not involved he's gonna be involved because that's insane there's no way he can't be yeah, I, I I don't know. It's gonna be weird. Like, but it's so messy, and this is something I appreciate. If you're gonna be just a really weird franchise, and the Wilpons are not gonna sell this team, do weird stuff like this. I'm all about it because if the Wilpons are gonna own this team and just be annoying and just not spend and just be extremely frustrating, you know what? Go the weird route. Go hire oh, the former CAA agent. Go do that. Try and find your own Bob Myers from Golden State. Sure. Why not? Yeah, it's it's very strange. Um, look, he could be good, but I, I can't imagine there isn't going to be some sort of really weird conflict of interest thing that happens. Um, knowing the Mets, the, there's like, again... There's divesting himself from and recusing himself from those negotiations. But again, does that apply to players he represented who are now trying to be free agents and go to the Mets? Like, does he not get to negotiate those contracts? Um, Like, how does Jacob DeGrom feel like this guy was the guy in his corner advocating for his extension with the Mets? And he was the guy who put up the sign me or trade me, you know, ultimatum. And now he's the guy across the table. But is he even across the table? Because, again, is he going to recuse himself from that conversation? Um, it's really weird. It's really, really, really weird. Um, do I think he could potentially do a good job? Yes, but there's that there's that wrinkle to it that I don't, I don't know how much that inhibits his ability to do the job, um, especially, again, when so much of the current roster is his former guys. Um, I think that's good news for the current roster, guys. I think this means that they're going to try and keep the status quo. I think this means that they're doubling down on their starting rotation. I think this means... Well, no, I don't think they're moving any of these guys. It's just a matter of, you know, okay, I want to raise. Yeah. Like, who who am I talking to? (laughs) Well, (laughs) I think it's already been weird before uh, Brody came into play, right? Because they brought back Omar Minaya, and Sandy's been away from the team, and the assistant GM's been running things, and maybe Minaya's there, and then you have the Wilpons, and, like, I think it's always been kind of a clusterfuck, 
I don't. I think this adds just another layer to the cluster fuckedness. And yeah, I just made that word up. But I think this is very Mets, very on brand. And I, I don't think this helps anything. But I also don't think if you're going to be a dysfunctional, odd working franchise, then uh, sure. Add in a, a, a former agent, power agent at CAA. Let's see what happens. So why, why did Brody get this job? Um, My guess is I think that he's very good friends with Jeff. I think he's yes. I think that's yes. all this is. Yes. I'm, I'm not, to, not to say that he's not qualified or he doesn't know what he's doing or that he just doesn't have a good game plan or anything like that. But why did he get this job? It's because him and Jeff are golf buddies. Yep. That was my first um, And when you see, when you read the quotes from Jeff, you're like, okay, I get it. Like the way he talks in a room and everything else. Oh, you're like, oh, they're friends. That That's what this is. Like, and they are. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I, I mean, look. Could this work out in the end? Sure. But it's man. It's also the Mets. Yeah. So could it work out? Probably not. Uh-huh. Probably not. This is going to get weird. Like, I don't think it's going to get John Coppolello weird. But, I mean, would it be crazy to think that there is some insane um, lawsuit involving the Mets three years no, from now? No, no. Yeah, I mean, we'll I mean, see. Do I, think, I don't think they're going to have a crimes database, but you, know, yeah. you never know. There's going to be some weird stuff. It's just, it, it has to happen. Like, there has to be some weird stuff with this situation. I think something has to give in some weird capacity. But I do think it means the Mets are going to try and run it back next year. And I do think it means that uh, they're going to hope that having a former agent in power and in the negotiating table for some of these free agents um, can be beneficial because he knows maybe maybe he like he'll bring in guys because they trust him. Like I would assume that's uh, who their knows, process, man. right? Like that's the best who case knows. scenario for them is that players want to play for the Mets. Or I'm, if I, yeah, if I'm a player, like I wouldn't trust him. Hmm. Like yeah. I'd be like, why are you crossing over? That's true. I I, I don't know. I, I I'm intrigued. I would like I'm like like imagine you're one of his clients on another team now. Like like he you're a client and you play you play for, let's say you play for the Rockies and, and I, I'm not trying to intimate any specific player to be to be clear. Um, let's say you're a player and you are a Van Wagenen client and you play for another team that isn't the Mets and you get the news that your agent's now the GM of a team. How do you feel? Cause this guy's one of the better agents in the, in the game right now. So now the guy who was like really good at his job and in your corner and getting you money, he's no longer your agent. I think we're going to find out how he really feels about a lot of his former players soon. Like, I, I think that's going to be interesting to see, like, how much of it was just agent speak and how much of it was, oh, I actually do think this is a really good player who deserves this kind of money. It's an interesting thing, right? Going from basically like PR to uh, actually making biz- baseball decisions. Um, yeah. To to I mean, team. It's it's weird. And he brings he clearly brings negotiating skills to the table. And that's going to be useful for trade. I mean, theoretically, that's useful for trades and stuff. We'll see how that translates. Um, I just think we're going to see the stories in like the New York post of uh, teams don't know who to talk to with the Mets. <laughs> God, I mean, you're seeing those stories this summer. So right. if those continue, that's, that's an issue. Yeah. 
All right, Nick. Well, I think this is where our journey ends tonight, but I appreciate it as always for you uh, taking the time. Um, it's always fun talking baseball with you. We can find you um, on Twitter at Stellini Tweets, and we can read you at The Athletic and Baseball Prospectus. Do you have anything coming out this week that we should check out? Uh, nothing right now. Okay. Well, um, either way, go ahead and check out Nick's past stuff and everything else going forward. But Nick, uh, we will talk soon, sir. All right. Have a good one. Right now, I am joined by one of my favorite pro wrestling writers, Danielle Matheson. Oh, that's me. Dan- that is you. <laughs> Thank you. That is the most excited anyone has ever sounded to be on my podcast. It's taken almost 220 episodes, but Danielle, I think you've done it. I think you had the best reaction to an introduction of anyone on this show. So, yeah, that's, that's great. There you go. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, how are you? How was your Halloween? Um, my Halloween was actually very boring. Uh, mm-hmm. I couldn't go out this year because of my concussion recovery stuff, but I had acupuncture, so I'm just going to pretend it was a pinhead costume. Okay. Never had acupuncture. How was that? Uh, it was great. It was okay. mostly, so it, it was actually mostly... feels good. Do you look at it? while it's happening or do you like close your eyes and just because i think i'm out after the first needle i think i'm out like i just nope 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 can't do this um i couldn't see these ones because they were okay. in my head and then my wrists and ankles but they were behind I'm me in my office chair right now honestly i, I, I am <laughs> horrible with actual like syringes but acupuncture mm-hmm. is fine because you can't you can't feel it and the needles are so teeny tiny but so you don't feel it not really no like unless something's hmm. really really like bad or tense or they fucked up <laughs> then no right. not really see even and you can't the really feel them when they pull out acupuncture either. feels like a, a huge no-no for me like it, it's well, one of those things where you, yeah go ahead well one of them because there's a uh there's a stress point in your ankles uh where if you get acupuncture, it's supposed to help you with uh, like stress and anxiety. And huh. so my massage therapist put one of those in and I was like, Hey, is it supposed to hurt? And he's like, well, if it tapers off, that means it's relaxing and it's working. And I was like, and if it doesn't, he's like, yeah, then it's in the wrong spot, but it wasn't <laughs> in the wrong spot. So it's fine. Okay. Well, that's but good. No, acupuncture is great. I think I'm Especially... just going to go with the, Oh, go ahead. No, I was but just especially save the one for the uh, the weighted comfort blanket. That is something I've heard is pretty good for anxiety and stress. Ooh, but then you look yes. at the price and you're like, "Oh God, one hundred fifty dollars yeah. for a blanket? I don't know if I can do this." Yes, but you can also just make your own with either like okay. dry beans or like you get one of those big ass like restaurant sized bags of rice, and then you just sew it into a pair of sheets. Okay. None of that is happening. There's no <laughs> way I would ever have the patience or the skill to do something like that. It would be an absolute miracle if I could pull that off, but uh, I can go ahead and but cross that one off. you wouldn't spend $150 on a blanket. Right, right. Um, I really want one of those because you see, I've heard they really do work. And uh, as a naturally anxious person, I, I can get behind a, a blanket. I can't get behind acupuncture, but I can. I can do a 10-pound blanket. Honestly, though, like 
you should try it. Especially when they put, I'm sorry, I'm sorry this is so not going to help convince you, but when they put the big one in, like right in the top of your head, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I realized as I started saying it, but it just, it just radiates down your whole body and it feels great and you can't see it. There's, you've you can't pushed see it me so far away from it. acupuncture. It's, uh, um, if I even see an acupuncture like ad, I'm like getting up and walking out of the room. Like uh, I'm so out on acupuncture now. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, but if you've got your phone on, then Instagram's just going to send you nothing but targeted acupuncture ads now. Okay. That's, so. why do you want, I, I sorry, already have enough sorry, going on, Danielle. I don't need targeted <laughs> acupuncture ads in my life. No, hard pass. Yeah, well, you're stuck with them now. Uh, hey, okay. so this is a wrestling podcast. I'm sure people at home are really right. enjoying all of this wrestling talk so far. Well, it's been a few months. <laughs> we were on the podcast a few months back, and uh, I've been trying to get you back on. But, I mean, with everything going on, uh, it had to be the right time. But now, maybe, is the right time. I don't know. Uh, but uh, I'm glad that we were able to do this. So, you know, we had to catch up a little bit before we got started with some wrestling talk. Because, you know, pro wrestling's really depressing right now. It really is, and I don't want to is start it? off with a bummer here. Uh, y- yes, it, it's is it because I feel great about wrestling? Okay, is it because Hulk Hogan is hosting Crown Jewel in Saudi Arabia for the WWE? That's not real wrestling. It doesn't count. Oh, okay. What is real wrestling? <laughs> two hundred five live. Is... That you've been in the you've been in the two hundred five live orbit <laughs> where like everything's fine, and you just miss everything else going on in professional wrestling. I think no, that's all actually, this is. like I can't. So since I am. More freshly concussed than the last time we spoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's this fun thing when you have one really bad or even multiple concussions where you get uh, a fun little thing called PTSD. So I've actually had to stop watching a lot of wrestling because seeing people even fake get hit in the head kind of sends me into a super tailspin, which is probably why I prefer getting needles shoved into me. Uh, So I've actually had to like give up a lot of WWE and sadly a lot of new Japan. It's that part is depressing, but there's so much good women's wrestling right now. And most of it doesn't, freaks me out so okay so you watched evolution i'm gonna go ahead and say right now i've it's on my dvr i have not been able to get to it because it was on sunday night and during the week i don't really have time for anything else so i like have a backlog so i'll get to it this weekend but um i gotta say like i've heard based on all the reactions thus far it seems like everybody was pleasantly surprised because i think people went in with low expectations because the build was so bad for so many of these matches and um it, it like it was just kind of random and then you didn't have like the uk women's title match if i remember correctly that just didn't happen and uh mm-hmm. there was some weird stuff going on but the wrestling itself um it seems like uh was a big hit and the atmosphere was a big hit and um it was a good night for everybody um involved uh but yeah what, what were your early um impressions of evolution well honestly it was great like it was when people say that it's one of if not the best pay-per-view they've had in a long time absolutely correct uh the first match didn't really do it for me but the attitude era is the thing that initially separated me from wrestling uh so 
you know, Trish and Lita and people shouting, yeah, that's how they did it in the Attitude Era during a pay-per-view that's supposed to prove that we've moved away from how they treated women in the Attitude Era. Not really my jam. Yeah. Uh, and Which the Battle Royal was the, fun. The company wants to move away from that. They want to pretend that didn't happen. And they, I think they yes. want to get to the point where they don't have to acknowledge the Divas Era. I think they want to pretend all of that stuff didn't happen because yeah, it's a but weird I mean, thing. They've also been pretending that Lita's moonsault isn't bullshit for years. So, oh, you know, it's they're so kind of used to it. And they know <laughs> yeah. that they know that what little they let Trish Stratus and Lita get away with and how they're kind of retconning them as these like huge pioneers. They know that works. So they're going to keep playing into it because nostalgia equals money at the end of the day, right. which as we can tell from, you know, that whole other tape of you coming up. Yes. <laughs> oh, so many thoughts on that, but uh, we'll get there yeah. briefly. I, I just, I'm so upset about all of it. I, I, I haven't decided if I'm going to watch it on Friday. I, I haven't, I haven't why, decided. Why, uh, why would you? So, the pre-show is hosted by a noted racist who helped, wreck the state of journalism irreparably uh and then to be fair i would never watch there's the a dx show, reunion so that's an like, why would you <laughs> like those two things right there should be enough to i mean technically not watch wwe ever again but it's enough to not watch this pay-per-view right um it's it's not looking good it looks like it might be uh chase decides to wake up saturday morning and read the results on cagesideseats.com that might be the what oh nice plug here oh <laughs> hey you know what i've written for them a lot i that's uh it's a good site no and you know what with spandex Another place where I read all, it's one of my, I mean, I go to Wispandex for like the in-depth stuff. So like Brandon does a really good job of, we. I, I share a lot of opinions with him. It seems like mm-hmm. the ESPN WWE writers and CBS Sports uh, WWE writers and I have a disconnect. Like I, I think we're watching like different products a lot of the time where I'm just like, ah, I don't know. This is very PR-y and I don't, I don't know. Well, yeah, I'm I mean, not, they're getting, they're getting paid to report what happened and not actually give it any kind of critical thought and right yeah. and brandon does a really good job of like that's why that's why wrestling's it. covered in forbes magazine <laughs> that is weird um but yeah somehow oh but evolution so yes so the battle royal was fun fun okay I will, I will put it out there it was fun like in the beginning i was like ah, oh, this is kind of crappy and look at all of these women that you could have put into literally any match because you're cutting off the pay-per-view half an hour early but you know uh actually l uh l collins who writes her with spandex uh kind of helped me get past that because i was like oh my god they made ivory dance because she had a little dance break with carmella but then l was like Mm -hmm. hey you know i'm choosing to think about it as Holy crap, Carmella got to dance with Ivory. So, you know, okay. and then Ivory yeah. got to take a bunch of ass, which is good. Mm-hmm. It just, it kind of okay. sucks that like jazz wasn't there, but I kind of yeah. always want jazz to be places. So, hmm. and also there's Big no Mako There is also no Mako Satamora, but that's okay because mm-hmm. she's the best wrestler in the world and you wouldn't want to like embarrass anyone. 
And also, battle royals are just objectively bad for me. Like, I, I've never enjoyed watching a battle royal. Really? Like, Even I, the gimmick it, it, battle royal? The yeah, single like greatest battle royal of all time? No. They're all gone. I, I can do without those lumberjack matches, everything. I think they're just really hard to make interesting. And um, it's really a slog. And it's kind of like everybody being in the ring at once, I don't like. That's what makes the Royal Rumble mm-hmm. work is it's never cluttered to such an egregious extent um, for the majority of the match. It's just it's more enjoyable when you only have a couple people in there fighting to stay in the ring. I just think it's hard to make something like that interesting. Um, I don't know. I think, I think this uh, one was actually yeah. done pretty well. And especially on a show that had so much good wrestling, but also all of it was very serious. You really mm-hmm. needed that bit of levity to yeah. kind of balance everything out. Cause like the, uh, um, the May Young class. It was good that James Ellsworth did not make an appearance. Yes. Right? Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have done if he had made an appearance at this pay-per-view? Uh, uh, I mean, I'm, it's very hard to actively get angry at a lot of stuff mm-hmm. WWE does now because it's just, it's that disappointed but not surprised kind yeah. of thing. Where I, I would be. Are you a Nia Jax fan? I love her. She's so pretty and she's so nice. But as a wrestler and a character, do you like her? I like her when they let her be a monster and not a screaming tantrumy little girl so you're right there with me with my point in that alexa bliss feud that i thought it was just awful and a terrible way to make nia Jax a baby face as an adult oh yeah that was screams and okay and it also took two people who are very vocal about eating disorders and body positivity and put them in roles where they were like shaming each other's bodies (laughs) Like that's really fucked was, up, and clearly written by men. So. Yeah, it was it it was problematic to say the least. But it also just wasn't good. And I just I'm not a Nia Jax person. I don't enjoy watching her wrestle. But I did think they had something there when she dropped Alexa Bliss last October, which is crazy. It's already been that long. And they closed out Raw with that. And there was always money in Alexa bliss versus nia Jax, and um, yeah of course just, because it's, they've just it's, dropped the ball with her too many times right that's kind of what it feels like yeah. to me Where, yeah pretty much yeah and she's They're not trying it go again anywhere and you just, because yeah i mean you, you know, know where she's going she's going like, to ronda rousey and gonna give ronda rousey a signature win like that's that's where this is heading well no i mean in terms of she's also the rock's cousin and she's not going anywhere so that's like true. You have the time and the space to try new things and not just repeat the same kind of bullshit feuds that and story points that they always give to women. Did you have a problem with Becky Charlotte not going on last in in lieu of uh, Ronda Rousey and Nikki Bella? No, because I think outside okay. of okay, so that match was a banger. First Which of all, one? that was great. Uh, Becky and Charlotte. Okay. So good. Uh, plus, like, there was no bullshit finish. Like, they let Becky just, you know, win cleanly. Spoil, spoiler. Sorry, because you haven't watched it yet. But no, the no, whole I mean, thing I know was the great. results and everything. They, yeah, like, I, I know the how shit out of each yeah, other, so no... and it was fine. Yeah, it was great. They actually let them 
it seemed like they gave them a lot more free reign than they normally would have. Like when you look at mm-hmm. the like Hell in a Cell match and things like that, it's all, you could tell it was, you can do these things, but we're not going to let you. This time it looked like they were just like, sure, yeah, whatever. Do a, mm-hmm. do a figure eight on a ladder. That's <laughs> why not? And it was super fucking cool. So, but Ronda Rousey is like outside of wrestling. She's the draw. And it comes back to, I think we talked about this last time, where to me, it just comes back to the wrestling fan fan mentality of not understanding that some things on the show are not for them. Like how people don't understand that John Cena, cool, you don't like him, great. You love Dean Ambrose, cool, good for you. John Cena's not for you. Just like Ronda Rousey is not, for us so when you've got no build by your own accord uh going into the pay-per-view of course you're going to put ronda rousey on last she's your mm-hmm. you know multi-million dollar worldwide star before she even got into wrestling you're going to expect that yeah of course she's going to go on last to anyone who doesn't have that wrestling first mentality she's the draw shockingly that match was also really good mm-hmm. i mean i think nikki bella is really capable i'm a big nikki bella fan i think she's really no, good she, now brie she absolutely is brie is not brie's dog shit brie is so bad <laughs> and should not be allowed she, i mean shout out to daniel bryan for sticking up for his wife and everything else it's great brie bella seems like a nice person uh brie bella should not be wrestling like under any circumstances anymore. Like it's just yeah, one of those no. things. She just should not be in a ring. And Nikki is a cool story too. She's easily, uh, she's easy to root for uh, just because of her next stuff and fighting to get back. And um, yeah, not solely not based on any of her promos whatsoever. Right. <laughs> no, but no, definitely I not. Think I mean, Rhonda's not a good promo either. Like I think she's still, oh, no, she's still better. She's still working on that, but she's got to work on the faces. Well, let's start with the baby steps. Um, let's have her stop smiling and waving to the crowd in an awkward way when she comes to the ring every time, and then turning on the anger face. There's no middle ground with her faces. She's either like See, this time she came out all intense, angry, yeah, which is good, and it was great. But she was still she was still smiling in parts, but you could tell it was because she was excited. Yeah, but honestly, to me, okay, so Rhonda's in ring skills is she's still working on them, but honestly, I think she did great. Yeah, I'm not this, worried about her. That's yeah. not her issue. Well, I mean, her and Shayna have, you know, similar backgrounds. But I think people don't realize that for a really long time on the indies, Shayna was kind of shitty. Like, I shouldn't say that because she can kick my ass. But, you know, she's kind of <laughs> shitty, realistically. Uh, Rhonda, when she first started, ugh, you know. But also, too, they are trained fighters. And they train in disciplines that require learning by repetition. So when you put them in a wrestling environment and you have them training like that, they're already used to that kind of discipline and that kind of learning. So of course they're going to pick it up really quickly and just get better and better and better. Ronda's already gotten better. And I think after this, like she's, she could be on track to be really, really good. Who do you think yes, is the right I know. person to Oh, go ahead. I, I can't believe I'm saying all of that about, you know, noted turf Ronda Rousey, but that's that's 
kind of the just how it is. Yeah. I mean, she's been better than expected. And I think she's exceeded expectations, especially in ring. Um, I don't know how much of that was. We kind of went in with extremely low expectations, uh, just based on her skipping NXT and everything else where you're like, uh, I don't know how this is going to work. And it's like, oh, she's been training with Natalia and everybody else. And, oh, be yeah. okay. and then <laughs> she does what she did to, oh, I'm so glad you're on the same page there. Cause Natalia, um, another, she kind of is in that Nijax zone where it seems like everybody backstage loves her and she does seem like a genuinely great person. And I think she follows me on Twitter. So yeah, she has if you, if you too. don't, I mean, if you don't watch total divas, <laughs> I do not cannot oh, say that because on Total Divas she's the worst, just the worst. Yeah, mm. yeah. but uh, not a good wrestler and has not been for a long time. And I I don't need Italian matches anymore. I don't need I I don't. There's just I think part of the reason that I'm a little bit more harsh, I guess, in some of these like in some in some instances here is because there is so much talent now. That when mm-hmm. you see people like Asuka just have, they have nothing for them for six months at a time or Ember Moon just getting lost in the shuffle and just so many more talented people that just don't have mm-hmm. anywhere to go because other just less talented veterans or not yeah. even veterans are just. But I mean, they, at the, by the same token, you have to, you also have to remember that people like Natalia and Beth Phoenix and Alicia Fox, like they came through in the divas era and now they have to essentially play catch up to all of these people who have spent years, you know, on the Indies actually wrestling and being good and not having these limitations put on them. So even though there is that WWE narrative of, Oh, you know, they're great. They're legacy. They've always been great they haven't so you can't mm-hmm. really to me you can't really judge someone like natalia against someone like Asuka. you know that's yeah, like judging that's, that's like judging mandy rose against i don't sure i, I mean like, i love mandy rose i i'm very pro that. mandy rose i think her and Sonya deville are good I think Sonya Deville is still has a lot more upside i think they're still pretty green but i think they can get there i think there is real um, like five years from now, I could see Mandy Rose being like a four-time champion. I think she's someone that is going to get a shot. And I don't know her. I mean, even Dana Brooke has been better as of late. I just think there is so much talent now. And this kind of leads me into my broader point here that I was thinking about if with evolution was a success. And you think about just when Stephanie talks about how she wants to eventually <sighs> have a roster at, with as many uh, women wrestlers as male wrestlers, my first thought was, okay, then you're going to have to break up the company. Like you're going to have to, yeah, basically do a Raw and SmackDown for women. Like you have to do that. There's or not you're just gonna room. have to cut a bunch of deadweight dudes, which I'm okay with. Yes, <laughs> but I don't think they're gonna do that. So, um, I, I just, I mean, yeah. it sounds great. It's one of those things when they say that. Yeah, but oh, it's one of those. 50- but no, it's one of those Stephanie talking points where right. It just she's saying it mostly just to say it. Like when she was like, yeah, sure, of course we're considering, you know, putting same sex storylines into the company. No, you're not. No, you're not. Right. And I like, also kind of don't want them to because I don't know if they can handle it. Well, that's the thing. WWE still has not earned 
that trust. Right. I got, I don't want Vince McMahon in 2018 handling something like that. I just we already see like this was the thing. It like more at 11, but uh, Vince McMahon only cares about money. Who would have thought that they would have stayed with uh, Saudi Arabia and Crown Jewel? Who could have ever foreseen that Vince McMahon would make the business friendly choice? in this situation who could have ever expected something like that mm-hmm. like I, true but you also can't you also have to remember that even though there is this narrative of triple h versus Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon is still in charge of the company and everything mm-hmm. goes through him he has the final say on everything so right. you're also saying so you also have to give him credit for evolution that's i can't believe I, that, I don't i don't right like it's don't hard really it's hard right yeah it's hard to get out of that mindset, but it's true. Like absolutely nothing goes on screen without his approval, like his tacit approval. Do you think he like, do you think this is something that becomes like a every four month thing, like NXT takeovers or what, what do you think? Is there I mean, I hope so. I hope yeah. so. Cause the show was great. Uh, by all accounts, the like by people who were in the audience, the audience was great it was a huge talking point on Twitter, which is what they want. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, this is one of those things where even though they didn't invest a lot in it, the return is exponential. Yeah. So it's one of those things where if people keep supporting it and they keep in general supporting women's wrestling, then they have to go forward. If only because this is the thing that will make them money. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. Like, it sucks sucks to say that, but it's WWE. And at the end of the day, what matters is money. And I think this is one of those things where I do believe this is the way to go long term anyways, doing like breaking things up where you see like NXT um, having their two and a half hour shows and just having it focused on just a bunch of really good wrestlers having matches for two hours in front of a indie friendly crowd or just a passionate fan base. Like the small, like the more rabid, the the people that are watching NXT on Wednesday night and 205 live and everything else, they're keeping up with everything. They're fans of the bullet club, all that kind of stuff. Like those there's real value in giving shows. I mean, I don't think that's fair. I don't think it's just white dudes who love the bullet club and everybody else. Like I, I think the people, uh, I don't know, but um, I guess it's probably the the safe bet is the majority are probably uh white dudes, I guess. Um, yeah. but I I do think that this is something where like instead of the company trying to throw every title on every main pay per view show once a month, this is the better alternative. Instead of just like trying to fit everything on one gigantic six hour show once a month, do this instead, where you have a women's pay-per-view once a month. You have an NXT pay-per-view every three months. You have a raw pay-per-view. I mean, once a month and a SmackDown pay-per-view once a month. I think that I understand that's a lot more wrestling and everything else, but Mm -hmm. the show quality is better when you break them up like this. We just, we know that it's better. We, and we see it now with evolution where it's another example of less is more and focusing on one specific division or brand or whatever over the course of a two and a half hour to three hour show is a more enjoyable product and a better product overall. Yeah. See, I, I kind of don't super agree because I okay. think you have to have something like having everything on raw and having everything on SmackDown because 
I hate the term, but casual fans, people who are just kind of, you know, kind of turning into raw and, you know, they have their favorites. They're not going to be exposed to these other things if you don't have them on those shows. Well, couldn't you just advertise? And I think someone isn't necessarily like that. Well, and someone isn't necessarily going to watch an all women's show every single month if they're not being built up properly. Right. On your regular shows, you know. But like you, you have to have you have to have that a... diversity. Well, no, I'm not saying Raw and SmackDown are good. <laughs> well, I'm saying like SmackDown, <laughs> you know, but I'm saying they have, have to have that a women's match over three weeks. Like that was something that I didn't yeah. even realize. And, and we it's, both agree like, that's bullshit. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, right now WWE is finally realizing that they have this huge demographic that they have not been playing to that has. Mm-hmm so much disposable income it is the older fans who get excited for trish and lita and mickey james and people who you know grew up with that and then you know left wrestling but now they have kids and tweens have so much disposable income tweens are gonna go out and they're gonna buy that those sasha Banks sunglasses and necklace and like sasha banks has a barbie now that's so fucking cool Yes. Okay. They have Barbies with them now. Which to okay. me, like I was I was a tomboy, but I also had so many Barbies. Like I would have lost my shit <laughs> okay. for something like that. And like yeah. they're realizing also too, like uh, I mean that leads into people realizing that you have to Im- also embrace femininity if you want to play to a demographic and also believe in feminism and equality, but that's that's a whole other a whole other conversation but there's so much potential in what they can do even just based on this single show that it would be very very stupid to go forward and not have a women's match on every single show on NXT on Raw on SmackDown on every pay-per-view you know it just requires a lot of uh, quality control that this company does not exactly excel at. This is not their strong point of, yeah. hey, uh, our go-home show should have a lot of women's matches on them and hype that up because that is our next pay-per-view. Oh, whoops, mess that one up. <laughs> like, I don't, they couldn't even do that the week of. I, I just, well, I, I, I mean, don't that's think because this company also is capable too, of it. Women's storylines come last in writers' meetings, in the writers' room. Unless it's Charlotte. That priority comes last. Yeah. Like, I mean, Charlotte NXT, just feels it like absolutely the one who... comes last. <laughs> Which sucks yeah. because the NXT female talent is well, a lot better than most of the men. Um Yeah, I think it's I think there are, there's more depth in the women's division in NXT right now than I probably would have thought there would be at this point because there have been so many people that have been called up over the last year that there was a, ser- a scenario like I think uh, six months ago there was like seven female wrestlers on television in NXT for a little bit um, so I was kind of worried about where that was going but um, like you said it is pretty stacked yeah right but now, now they have and... so much to pull from they have everyone who competed in the Mae Young Classic they have right. NXT UK now so that's a huge talent pool, talent pool that they can pull from like they have they have so many options and they just have to go with them. 
but so they also this is a know, good way of putting a bow on everything is are you optimistic about where they're going does evolution watching it and getting a sense of where they're moving and the talent that's in the company right now do you think they are moving in a direction that is going to ultimately be fruitful long term or do you think this is something that you still have to see and w- wait and see and see if they can actually handle something like this and this is going to be a bigger priority in the not too distant future well, I mean, like I said, WWE has not earned that trust yet. So mm-hmm. I would like to be hopeful. I am hopeful. But, you know, myself and pretty much every other female wrestling fan is going to be trepidatious. But I think they won't move forward if we don't push them. So if you're not supporting women's wrestling on every level, whether it's WWE or you know, Shimmer, Pro Wrestling Eve, which is amazing and running a crazy good show during that crown jewel nonsense for free. Uh, You know, you have to support these wrestlers. Like we wouldn't have Ruby Riot on TV if no one supported Heidi Lovelace. You know, like you have to put the work in on every single level to make them listen. I, you have to. I think it's promotion. It's all promotion. It's all um, putting it out there into the atmosphere. You saw that with the WNBA this year, where there was a lot more interest and a lot more broad support because NBA players were speaking up and NBA players saying, like, go watch this product. And I mean, it just felt like they had, they had a moment with uh, Seattle and um, mm-hmm. everybody. Like, it felt like it was a bigger deal. But you know what? It's because they're like it felt like they're on national television more. A lot of it's just like well, and also people... too, yeah. there's a lot more coverage, and there's a lot more coverage yes. by the right people. Like there um, are some incredible writers at WSPN who have been covering WNBA, Kate and they're friend of the pod. so good, so good, right? Like when you have the right people advocating for the things that you love, that you want everyone else to love, it's so much easier. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, but you just have to invest. Well, yeah. And I mean, like a few years ago, like even a few years ago, it was so hard to just, you know, champion women's wrestling. And now it seems like it seems like there are more people who want to shame you for not liking women's wrestling than there are people who are just like, well, I just don't get it. I just don't believe it, you know? And I think we're in a really good place, but again, we still have to keep pushing and still have to support these women who are busting their ass so they can, A, you know, make money because that pay gap is still a thing. But also, too, like, as much as I don't trust WWE, I like when, you know, people I care about get to go to WWE and be able to own a house and pay for health insurance. You know, yeah. like at the at the end um, of the day, they may not be, you know, wrestling my other favorite people in front of a crowd of 300 in the Midwest somewhere, but they can go to the doctor when they get hurt. Like it's it's a pretty easy thing to uh, to come to terms with when you think about it like that. Yeah. Danielle, this has been great. I'm glad we were able to do this tonight. This was uh, this was good. It was informative, fun. I'm, I'm glad we were able to make this work tonight. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, I appreciate it. We can find you on Twitter at ProGrapsLady. Um, you can. Also, uh, 
Where can I'm where can we super read you unemployed right now? right now? I am super yeah. unemployed right now. Uh, okay. Because speaking Hire of the spandex, Danielle. got laid off twice from the same job this year, which is I think a record for a sad record, but it's a record. Uh, but yeah, I am. A lot of it has been to do with my concussion stuff, but you know, you can still pay me to write words. Uh, you can pay me to shoot your wrestling show because I take good, fun pictures. Uh, and yeah, um, since I am not writing anywhere, I'm going to again put over Pro Wrestling Eve because they are running the She One uh, on the same night for free. Uh, as Crown Jewel, and there are some amazing wrestlers. Like, they've got Command Bolshoi wrestling Ginny, and, like, to some people, those are... They've never heard those words together. I am one but of those people. Seriously. <gasps> okay. Command Bolshoi is incredible. She is she okay. is a living Joshi legend who... To me, and I guess to a lot of people who love her, don't get the credit she deserves for being so innovative and so prolific. Uh, but like, if you look at any best of JWP, she's in almost every match. She's so, so good. And Ginny's incredible. Ginny is just uh, now starting to appear on NXT UK. So I'm very excited about that because she's very good uh, and very lovely. But yeah, there's so much, there's so much good talent in the UK alone and showcased on this show that it is so much better uh, and so much more exciting than again, you know, a uh, Saudi Arabian customs match. It's yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to check yeah. it out. And Anybody none of them, none of out? them have bombed Yemen. So <laughs> there's also that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Danielle. Thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I do appreciate it. And we will uh, talk in soon. And uh, yeah, let Danielle write for your site. Yeah, I'm great. She's good. I promise. <laughs> I read her 205 Live reviews. We're good. She's good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> Thank She's you so good. much for having me, though. This is fun. Thanks, Danielle.